0: Good to see all of you. Um, yeah, so some exciting news for our family. Um, Jan and I, we, uh, we bought a house, and uh, so we're, we're stoked. So we're supposed to close on it on Friday, uh, if, and so over in uh, Holler Lake, so if you know where Holler Lake is, and uh, yeah, we're, we're really stoked. We really, really love our church. We love you enough to stick around for a long time. So uh, yeah, so we're really, really grateful. So thank you for praying for us, for a few of our friends that have, have been in the, in the know about that in particular. Uh, it's a, you know, our uh, little city is not so little anymore. And um, yeah, crazy. Uh, but we are, we're excited to be here and serving the city of Seattle and serving you in particular here at Redemption. So I see who's here in church today, by the way, so you're all helping us move, so there you go. All right, all right, so uh, like I said earlier, we're walking through our mission uh, to be about enjoying Jesus, loving people, and making disciples, and so, uh, yeah, here we, here we go. Um, on making disciples, it'd probably be, uh, be wise to uh, define what we do and do not mean by the word disciple. After all, it is a very curious word, and it's not unique to the Christian religion, It's in other religions, and it's in cults. So what do we mean by the word disciple? It's important. Here's a a standard definition. It is a person who adheres to the teachings of another. Words like learner or follower best fit who a disciple is and what he or she does. So discipleship is a radical commitment to take up the ways and the teachings and the life Of the instructor. That's what a disciple is. At redemption, when we use the word disciples as a body of Christ, uh, we are following Jesus exclusively as our Lord, Savior, Healer, Redeemer, and Teacher. Now, we do believe, obviously, that there have been loads and loads of good teachers that have come on the scene throughout the ages and will. Till the end of time, good teachers come along. However, none of them have laid claim to our lives, our, our allegiance, our minds, and our affections like the Lord Jesus Christ. As the Son of God, we are convinced that Jesus, in Christ alone, capital T, truth, is revealed exclusively, and so we're seeking to conform our lives. To his image by in and through the power of the Holy Spirit as a community gathered around Jesus so as disciples of Jesus we don't approach him strictly for good teaching though he's a very good teacher Um, Jesus teaches us the way of eternal life. Jesus teaches us how to love others. Jesus teaches us the path of wisdom. Jesus teaches us what God is like. Jesus teaches us about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus teaches us about the nature of forgiveness, and on and on and on. Jesus is a great teacher. And at the same time, our understanding of Jesus and our approach toward Jesus, is he is more than our teacher. Listen to how St. Paul describes in one aspect of who Jesus is and how Christians talk about our relationship. When you ask us about Jesus, here's kind of how we end up talking. Colossians 3 says this, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. You hear that one phrase? Christ, who is your, your life, this is how Christians talk about Jesus. Like, we don't talk about him like a weekend hobby or somebody we met yesterday or might hang out with at coffee later this week. It's not just another person. When we talk about Jesus, we end up saying things like, he's my whole life. He's my whole life. He's the, he becomes like that. And anything less than that is just not Christianity at its core. This is the core of Christianity that Jesus is not attack on, but Jesus becomes our entire Life. So a redemption, we're committed to making disciples of the Lord Jesus. The same Lord Jesus that has been and is currently being and will be honored, not just here and not just in churches in Seattle, but around the entire globe. It's nice to know, it's amazing to know that the majority of Christians today are not white people like the majority of us in this room today. The majority of Christians today are actually in Latin America and all throughout Africa. That's where the majority, and throughout China too, though they're not allowed to turn in their numbers for obviously obvious reasons. But this Jesus has laid claim to the whole world. And specifically, he's got his people that are growing and conforming into his image. And so some of you might be wondering like, seriously, why are we doing a sermon on discipleship? Um, is it really that important? After all, saying a prayer and being baptized is enough, right? Shouldn't that kind of do it? And isn't discipleship more for those folks that are kind of, you know like Christianity like 2.0, like the really serious ones that don't have, you know, jobs and families and other things to be doing with like, isn't discipleship for kind of people that don't have anything else to do? And of course, the answer is absolutely not. Every Christian is a disciple. That is, if you scour the New Testament, when they're talking about disciples, you will not find a picture of Christianity that doesn't involve an ongoing daily, hourly pursuit of the Lord Jesus, which includes your mind, which includes your soul. Relationships, job, finances, everything. So discipleship is holistic. Discipleship is comprehensive. Discipleship is a word that speaks to how we think about ourselves, others, and experience reality. This is what we're getting at when we're talking about what does it mean to be a disciple. So it speaks to every moment of life not just Sunday mornings, and certainly not when life is convenient. In fact, discipleship is proven when life is most inconvenient, when life is most painful, when life is most difficult. That's really when we start to find out where our allegiance lies, Maybe you know what this is like. Maybe, yeah, yeah. Like a lot of, like, I'm looking at all all your faces, and I know all of you because I'm one of your pastors, and you're all going, yeah, dude, yep, suffering, suffering, suffering. It's hard. This stinks. This sucks. This is painful. This is. And discipleship happens not just on the mountaintops, but in the valley. After all, the root word of disciple is uh, discipline. (laughs) So, welcome to church. Um, So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk through three big ideas. The historical context of Jesus and his disciples, what St. Paul had to say in one passage in Colossians about discipleship, and then just some very practical things about here at Redemption here in Seattle. So here you go, the historical context of Jesus and discipleship. Welcome to church. Back in 2006, uh, I was not planning on being a pastor at all. I didn't have any interest in serving Jesus in the church at any full-time capacity whatsoever. I grew up in the church. I had done my undergraduate degree in theology and thought, yeah, okay, I've been around enough church to go, maybe, maybe I'll serve one day as a deacon somewhere, maybe. But I'm not looking to get, like, I don't want to be a pastor for sure much less a preaching pastor. I don't want to do that. I don't want to spend my time with people like that. I don't want to do it. You're like, pastor, that's not, you should keep that to yourself. Well, it was 2006. Now I totally, so anyway. Um, but in 2006, that's where I was set out. And I really, really enjoyed theology. And I really, really enjoyed the academic environment in that setting. And so I, I, I was set on that trajectory to go be a, a, an academic theologian, right? And so that's where I was setting out. And if you've ever done a a, a Tour of uh, going throughout England. If you go uh, to to Oxford, you'll you'll come by a a a bookstore called Blackwell's, and you'll go in and you'll just find dissertations upon dissertations upon dissertations. Anyway, I was there one afternoon, dipped in, and went. I found this one book by a lady named uh, Sylvia Collinson, and uh, it was the the most boring cover of a book, as all theology books. In case if you've ever gone to buy a theology book, the covers are just They're just dreadfully boring. And um, sometimes the content matches the the cover. Uh, But this one in particular, Sylvia Collinson wrote her dissertation on first century discipleship. And I found it to be really interesting, so I I bought it. And here's, here's what she has to say as she defines what discipling actually is. Discipling is a voluntary personal relationship between two individuals. In community or alone in which the disciple commits himself or herself to learn from the other by imitation, oral communication, and sharing in the life and work of the discipler. Fairly comprehensive. So in Jesus' first century Jewish context, to have the opportunity to actually become a disciple was an incredible accomplishment for any Jewish person. And the requirements to become a disciple of a rabbi would absolutely blow away our Western minds. So here's how you could work your way toward application to being a disciple. Now, this excludes—well, here you go— You begin at the age of five. Boys and girls would go to school from the ages of five to 12 and seek to memorize the Torah. The first five books of the Bible. The books of the Bible that most Christians have no clue what they're about. And maybe if I don't say they're the first five books, you wouldn't be able to find Leviticus in the Bible. Well, they memorize it. Memorize. From Genesis 1 through the end of Deuteronomy, memorize ages five to 12. Most boys couldn't do it for obvious reasons it's very big they memorize the torah then at the age of 12 girls they are done with their education and then a few boys that could could continue on in school that did memorize the torah would then move on to another school called Beit Midrash where they actually then remem- memorize the remainder of the entire old testament memorized memorized. This is a serious, radical commitment, no? Like, we think reading, uh, I, 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 I read My Utmost forest Highest this morning and thought, wow, I've really done something, I, I, or whatever. These people, if you don't know what that is, it's, it's all right, but whatever. Read it sometime. All right. But to become a disciple was a radical commitment to being a student of the word of God. After completing memorization of the Old Testament, men could then fill out an application. And you might be rejected, and many were. After all the academic training, all the theological training, all of the obsessing over the word of God, a rabbi could then look at you and go, maybe, maybe. So being a disciple took every ounce of energy, every ounce of focus that you got. Every waking moment, life was being oriented toward, driving toward, I must complete this task. Does this make sense to anybody in Seattle today going, I know what it's like to be driven. I know what it's like to have a focus. I know what it's like to have a goal. I know what it's like to move along. I know what it's like to be obsessed over something. Yeah, yeah, like that. So it takes all of your obsession, all of your ambition. Upon becoming a disciple, if you're admitted into being a disciple, you then spend the remainder of your days with your rabbi, walking closely behind him at all times. You learn and, and it would it would not be uncommon to see disciples always always addressing the rabbi as rabbi, a term of honor. But more than that, they 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 would memorize everything he had to say. And they memorized the Bible Now they got to memorize his commentary They would mimic his hand motions His voice inflections His habits His customs When Jesus didn't wash his hands Who chimes in? The religious crowds And they say Why don't your disciples wash your Like they're watching every little detail Of a disciple's life They pay close attention to the rabbi now enter Jesus. Jesus comes on the scene and quickly just gains the reputation of being a rabbi. We don't know that Jesus actually went through all that schooling, but he, everyone starts referring to him as rabbi. Even the Pharisees t- call Jesus rabbi because he teaches as one with authority. You can read Mark, Mark 1. Jesus is referred to as such. So Jesus rolls on the scene. And when you see Jesus and his disciples, you don't see him going after the PhDs in theology, handpicking the very best ones. Who does Jesus go to? High school dropout fisherman Peter. Rough, tough, cussing, swearing fisherman. Peter, James, John, the, the sons of thunder. Fishing in their boat with their dad, Jesus walks up. Have you ever wondered, like, how in the world can Jesus just walk up to Matthew at his tax booth, who, by the way, a person everyone in society hated, or uh, uh, Simon the Zealot, who was a radical poli- political activist, prone toward violent uh, protests and so? Anyway, Jesus could walk up to these men and go, "Follow me." This was an opportunity of a lifetime for these men. This is why they dropped their nets and they go, Rabbi Jesus just came up and asked, told me to follow him. I didn't have to study the Old Testament and go apply. He walks up, finds me with my dad in the fishing boat, and says, come follow me, and they dropped their nets. It was an opportunity of a lifetime to study under and live life with Jesus. So Jesus did not go to the best that the community had to offer. He went after average folks, even corrupt folks, and called them his disciples. And when you see these guys with Jesus, they don't come across like disciples and rabbis do in other contexts. That is, sometimes you see the disciples being rude to Jesus. Uh, The disciples have bad form. (laughs) and ask Jesus really wrong questions. Like, uh, Jesus, can I, when, I get, when we get to heaven, uh, my mom told me to ask you this, by the way. You know the part. Uh, when you get to heaven, can I sit on your right and left? Can, I, can, I, like, can you move over on the throne a little and like, make room for us too? Like, that's called bad form. Uh, and, or they argue with one another. Read Mark chapter 10 about who the greatest one is. They scrap, they fight, they're... They're just a ragtag group of folks like you and me. They get out of line. That's who Jesus wanted. And so then Jesus spends three years traveling with them, teaching them, performing miracles in front of them, teaching them everything they want them to know. He wants them to know. Then Jesus begins teaching things about the fall of Jerusalem which happened, by the way, in AD 70. Then Jesus starts calling out the religious authorities for all their corruption and manipulating people and stealing money, and right? And then he starts teaching things ex- like extremely radical. For a man to come on the earth and say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one's going to the Father except through me. To Jews, Jesus looks at them and says, I'm the resurrection and the life. To Jews, Jesus says, I'm the vine. Abide in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. To Jews who, had, who are sitting around obsessed with their Old Testament, Jesus says, the whole thing, that's about me. He was so bold that when you read John chapter five, go read it. Look what it says in verse 18. It says, this man makes himself equal with God. They charge him with criminal blasphemy. They charge him because he's calling himself Lord. When people fall down and worship him, Jesus doesn't stop them, which is unspeakable in their context. And Jesus goes, no, you got it right. I am the son of God. So their rabbi starts teaching things like this and then it leads to obviously the most horrific thing ever. Jesus, a Jew, is stripped naked by Romans and drug outside the holy city and murdered on a Roman cross. Utter shame for this rabbi. Then the disciples, on Good Friday, go into hiding. Matthew 28 says this. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. and For there was an angel of the Lord who had descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled because, and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. <laughs> That's crazy to read every time. Not just Easter Sunday. It's really, it's great today. And he, as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee, and there you'll see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb, and with great fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they'll see me. Why is this so important right now? Why are you reading the Easter passage? Easter was months ago. Well, the context, the context by which we get the great commission that we just had read in our liturgy matters. Listen, Jesus did not give the great commission at the wedding of Cana, where he turned the water into wine. Gives everybody the wine and goes, all right, go make disciples in my name. Nope. Uh, Jesus did not feed 5,000 families with the bread and the fish and the young go, okay, here's a meal. Now go make disciples in my name. Even in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus did not get up and go, there's the sermon. Now go make disciples in my name. Only at the resurrection... At the resurrection from the dead, Jesus gets up and goes, now go, now go. Why is this important? Because he has just defeated Satan, demons, death, hell, sin, the wrath of God. He has secured salvation for everyone who would come to him. The context is amazing. Way better than water into wine. Way better than feeding 5,000. Way better than the Sermon on the Mount. Way better than walking on the water or raising the dead. Jesus' own bodily resurrection didn't just, it's not like Lazarus that went into the grave a sinner and then Jesus resurrected. No, Jesus went into the grave sinless and came up from the grave victorious. This is amazing. That's the context in which Jesus goes, so Now go. Now go. Now go! I'm up from the dead. You can go in great confidence. Listen to this: Jürgen Moltmann says this in theology of hope. Christianity stands or falls with the reality of the raising of Jesus from the dead by God. Wow! Or, or, or George Ladd said this. I love this. If Jesus is not raised, redemptive history ends in the cul-de-sac of a Palestinian grave. You see, if you don't understand and relate to Jesus and see Jesus consistently as the one who is resurrected, then your evangelism will be about as interesting as a cold bowl of oatmeal, all right? He's up from the grave. Discipleship will be a long, miserable go if Jesus is still in his grave or if Jesus has a grudge with you. But discipleship is not a miserable go. Discipleship is ongoing fellowship with the one who loved you from before time began and the one who is not out just to put you to death, but he's here to bring you to life. And as he says, life everlasting, you see? So listen, let's go, we'll go I'll go quickly through the Great Commission, You're, yeah, okay. <laughs> Yeah, right. All right. Now the eleven disciples There was eleven, there was, there was twelve If you know the story Judas is out of the picture At this point So now the eleven disciples They went to Galilee So Jesus had made arrangements to meet up with them They went to Galilee To the mountain which Jesus had directed them And when they saw him, they worshipped him But I love this other part but, but some doubted I don't know which ones of the disciples were there That were still doubting But Jesus is literally up from the dead going, I'm here. And they're going, I I don't know. Which I probably would have fell on the the column of doubters too, honestly. You know, because people don't get up from the dead. So, you know. But some doubted. But some of them were like, oh, my God, he's up from the dead. And they bow down and worship him. Wow. Wow. Which also, by the way, if Jesus is like, if there's one there doubting, you must be going like, I don't, I don't think I can do anything more to prove it other than get up from the grave, but okay. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in a day and age where there's a lot of questions about authority and all of us have problems with different people in various positions of authority. Jesus has all authority. All authority in heaven, not just in heaven, and on the earth. That's a claim. All of it's been given to me. Nobody else. Nobody else. Nobody else. All is given to Jesus. All has been given to me. So go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, so go and make disciples, not just converts. You see? Go make disciples. Ongoing teaching, discipling stuff that we just covered a minute ago. Ongoing teaching them to observe. So discipleship is a teaching thing, and it's not just for pastors to do. It's for anybody who would come after Jesus. You see that? This is not something that you just relegate to the trained people over here who went to seminary or whatever. Discipleship is an ongoing thing that the family of God gets to do, which is amazing. Name somewhere else in the world like the church. That's amazing. Name another religion that thinks like this. Christianity, where everyone's equal, where there's no favorites, where no one's better than the next guy or girl, that discipleship is done in the community by each of us, and that the person that met Jesus five minutes ago, theologians can still take notes from. That's how the gospel works. It's amazing. So he said, like, go make disciples, teaching them to observe. And this, is, this is different from going to, like, the Sam downtown and observing art. Whereas we can be critical and say, oh, I like this. I don't like that for these reasons. That's making an observation about a piece of art. Jesus, when he uses the word observe, he uses the word in a military context in which a warrior would be observing his enemy's movements around a particular piece of terrain. Laser focus. And the observation would be focused on the actual doing of the teachings of Jesus. Teach them to observe. Teach them what? Everything that I commanded. Everything. And here's the best part. The best part of the Great Commission is the last line. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That never stood out to me growing up in church or hearing sermons on the Great Commission. But in in the last few years, that's become one of the most precious verses in Scripture to me. Here's why Jesus is not deploying you as as an employee. Go on out. Go do it now. What does he say? I'm with you to the end of the age. As you go, I'm with you. That Jesus isn't sending you out with just a bunch of data. Just going out there and make converts. Or or, or go and and make disciples even. What does he say? Go and I'm with you. I'm with you every step of the way. Do you know every time you share the gospel, Jesus is actually with you in that moment? What an amazing thing to be aware of that you're not just talking about him. He's actually presently with you by, in, and through the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Go make disciples. So discipleship is ongoing obedience to Jesus. Man. Awesome. Okay. Colossians 1. You guys are off paying good attention today, by the way. Very good, very good. All right, so. All right, so. Paul says this, Colossians 1.25, listen to what he says. I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery, oh, I love, I love this. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now is revealed to the saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. What's the mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now this is it. This is what he says. Him we proclaim, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone maturing Christ. Everyone. So who do we proclaim? We proclaim him. We proclaim Jesus. And not only do we proclaim him, but we teach, and there's warning too. Not, not like a religious nitpicky, grind away, ah, I, you did that wrong. Oh, you, you slipped up and said that. Oh, you, it's, not a, it's not like that. But when Scripture admonishes us to warn one another, it's always with, hey, there's, there's something bad around the corner if you head down this road any further. This is going to end bad. You can't, you can't have fellowship with the darkness and say you're a part of the light. You can't hate your brother and say that you love God. You can't live like that. You can't do it. So here's your warning. If you keep up in that way, you're going to end up in a really dark place. It's going to end bad. Brothers and sisters, family members, close friends, disciples of Jesus that love one another like that are okay with warning each other. And again, it's not in an ugly way, but it's always with the best of that person in mind and not just their best but God's glory hey you know Jesus isn't getting the honor and the reverence and the worship he deserves don't you think yeah sheesh alright well let's walk arm in arm in this let's, let's repent let's, let's change so we, we teach we warn. so that we can be whole, mature. You see that? Everyone, so that we can present everyone mature in Christ. Everyone, one of our major aims at redemption, as pastors we talk about regularly, regularly, like daily, daily, um, is pastoral care. That we deeply care about how we turn out as disciples. It would do no good. In fact, it would be a shame for our church to grow and grow and grow when we show up in heaven and nobody's mature. That none of us actually practice prayer. That none of us actually practice repentance. That none of us actually practice worship. That none of us actually practice confession. That none of us actually practice. What a sad day to show up in heaven and go, I'm immature. I had... Five years, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years with Jesus, and I didn't grow an ounce. Gosh, Jesus died for our souls. My goodness, we should pursue maturity in Christ that won't make sense to the rest of the world. Oh, why do you go to church all the time? My life doesn't make sense to you anymore. Why do you serve like that or give like that? or Why do you, why do you live that way? Why do you value the things that way? He's just changed me. And progressing toward maturity, as painful as it is as disciples, he meets us in that pain. He meets us in those moments of confession. He meets us there. And it ends up being quite joyful. So, Christianity is not a spectator religion and we which we watch a few perform. Maturity is for all of us. That's what Paul tells us. Everyone. And so the questions then become, Okay, well okay, let, let then okay, let's do the maturity thing. Do I have to go to seminary? <laughs> do I have to please tell me I don't have to learn Hebrew syntax or whatever? Like how do you do this? It's so hard, by the way. Um, well, yeah. How do you do it? Can anybody do it? Yeah, anybody can do it. Our kids are doing, doing discipleship right now throughout our building right now. I hope they're not getting into Hebrew syntax in there <laughs> so we'll have a talk with the teacher. Easy. But can anybody do it? Yeah. Can a dude swing a hammer, become a disciple? And be mature? You bet. Can a bartender? You bet. Can a barista? You bet. Can a contractor? You bet. Can a doctor? Yes. A stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad? Yes. Can, who, who can be a disciple? Who can be a mature disciple? If St. Peter can become one? Then we all stand a fighting chance. So how do you do it? How do you, I'll, I'll be quick. First, we do the very simple thing that you've known your whole life you go to church. Like, certainly there's another way. No, it's actually just go to church. Really. Hebrews 10, 24, 25, it just says, do not forsake the assembly of the saints. That's the coming together. But come together And encourage each other as you see the day coming to a close. So we come together all the time. How do you grow? You grow by coming together with the family of God. You come together, you pray, you confess. We just went through in our liturgy, we're confessing, we're praying, right? We receive the sacraments of communion together and observe baptism. When when someone converts to follow Jesus, we hear the gospel. Like we, this is how, this is a massive way in which we grow. It's just consistently showing up. We just show up. Even when the hawks are on at one, we still show up. I think it's one. All right. Additionally, not just here, but we go together in life groups throughout the city every week. We get together with friends who know Jesus. We open the Bible. We eat a meal together. We pray together. We share our life together. We help shoulder each other's burdens a bit together. And we admonish one another to follow Jesus. That's what we're doing. Just showing up and being intentional with the family of God I'm telling you, if you want to see your walk with Christ go up and mature, just start there. Just start there. Another way. So, like, gosh, there's so much. I'm sorry. I'll just email you the manuscript. All right. Um, Last thing. I'll just say this. The last thing that we do as disciples and not just gathering together. But one massive thing that Jesus said, "You'll know my disciples, they'll, you'll know, they'll know my disciples by the love that they have for one another. And if, spend some time this week. Go read Mark chapter 10. It is so powerful. It's the passage where James and John are arguing about who gets to be great in heaven. And then Jesus goes on and, is like, absolutely puts these guys in their place. And says, guys, do, you, do you, you want to sit on my throne? Do you know what it's going to take to get to the throne? Can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm getting? They're like, yeah, I can be baptized. And Jesus like, no, my baptism is by fire. It's in a cross, right? And then what does Jesus say? For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When Jesus talked about the atonement, when Jesus described good He described it as as an act of service to you and to me. If you want to read something else amazing, go read Luke 6. What does it say? Jesus says, on the last day, in the resurrection, when we are in glory, fully resurrected, perfect bodies, in the presence of God. What does it say? It says, Jesus will get off his throne, dress himself as a servant, And he's going to serve the table. He's still serving in heaven. What? What kind of king does that? Ours does. The king of the universe. The king that has not just a king and a title, but he's a king in his heart. He is the king. And he takes on the posture of serving. So when... Disciples get together and serve one another. When, when kids ministry workers show up at 8.30 in the morning on Sunday mornings and they're lugging stuff upstairs and they're setting things up and they're preparing Bible studies and wiping noses and eating goldfish crackers and walking through gospel project and Jesus loves me this I know. These are serving actions. When the prayer team shows up and prays over every pew, every seat, when the prayer team is gathering and praying over every ounce of our liturgy, from the signs outside. Did you know our team actually prays for the signs every Sunday, The people see the signs and come in and worship? Like We pray through every ounce, from the, from the singing, to the praying, to the confessing, to the sacraments, to the benediction. We pray through everything. Those are acts of service. Those who, who work in sound and play in the band, so that we can get together and put together song in worship. These are acts of service. When people assist in administrating and communicating things throughout the church, these are acts of service. When we get involved in places like Aurora Commons and we go and serve those who are much less fortunate than the majority of us in this room today, those are acts of service. Those are the things. Is it glamorous? No. Is it glorious? Yes. When you get to heaven, you will not regret kindness. You will not regret grace. And you will not regret serving someone else. You will not regret those actions in that moment. In the meantime, yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. But it is glorious. And he is with us in it. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the good news of the gospel. Thank you for our salvation. Thank you for calling us not just to conversion but to to grow as your disciples, following all your teachings. God, would you help us to obey you? Help us to repent of sin. Help us to pursue you with all that we are. And as we do that, would you fill our cup with joy? Help us, God, to pursue maturity in our faith and above everything Would you tie it to him we proclaim, he who gave his life as a ransom for many. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who conforms us into your image. We pray this in your good name. Amen.